Amen. Well, we're going to go into a time of studying God's Word this morning, and uh, you're welcome to follow along. I'm going to be reading from the book of Ephesians. We're starting a new study through the book of Ephesians today, and I want to begin with a word of encouragement that if you are here this morning and you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, then you have a treasure, a treasure that is laid up for you in heaven. The Apostle Peter describes this amazing treasure. He says that this treasure is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. And it is kept in heaven. It is on reservation for you today. My wife and I just found out uh, last night that more than likely my in-laws lost their home up in Big Creek, California from the Creek Fire. Um, We're waiting to know for sure, but that It is their home, but it's their second home. But it is their home. (laughs) But yes, it's not their primary home. It's their uh, vacation home. And so uh, we've been praying for everybody who's involved there. And um, the fire started just like less than 48 hours ago and swept through very quickly right in the very area where um, my in-laws are. They spend about half the time up there. Um, The house is 109 years old. So it was a very beautiful historic home. Uh, used to be the barber shop and the police officer's house, and then eventually it uh, was something that my in-laws purchased and has been available for our family. We were up there just a couple of months ago, and it's hard to believe that uh, the elementary school and the swimming pool where my kids were swimming just a few weeks ago has been completely destroyed. Uh, We've got friends up there, and most of them have lost their homes. So this morning of all mornings is a time to be reminded that uh, God has a treasure for us, that is imperishable. Jesus said, don't lay up treasure just here on this earth, but lay up treasure in heaven where moth and rust cannot corrupt and thieves will not break in and steal. And I want to encourage you this morning that no matter what you have, whether it's much or whether it's little, there's a great treasure in store for us. And we're going to be learning more about that treasure in the weeks ahead here in Ephesians chapter 1. Let me go ahead and read verses 1 through 14 for you. As Paul begins his letter in typical fashion with a greeting to the church in Ephesus, and then immediately he launches into talking about our heavenly treasure in Christ. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will." so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, 
you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Paul begins with the basic greeting in the opening verses. He describes himself as an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He's going to have a lot to say about the will of God and the divine purpose of his will in the letter to Ephesus. But even his calling as an apostle was by the will of God. Paul had not always been a friend of Christ. He had been hostile to Jesus Christ for many years and opposed and persecuted those who had put their faith in Jesus. For many years, Paul had been the leading opposition against the early church. He was hunting down Christians, persecuting them, dragging them back to trial, and in many cases, he was instrumental in their death. And yet now, he describes himself as an apostle, a sent one of Christ Jesus, because as you know, as Saul was on his way to Damascus, He encountered a bright light and a voice from heaven, and Christ himself called out to him and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And from then on, he said, I have a task for you. I am going to send you as my emissary, as my apostle, to the Gentiles to give them salvation and hope. And there was something as those scales, blinders that came off of his eyes, and he saw for the first time that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He is the Christ. And when the Holy Spirit came in and convicted him of his sin and gave him faith and hope in Christ, suddenly all the dots of the Old Testament connected. He was an expert in the Old Testament law. And now with the Holy Spirit's assistance, he understood that Jesus is the Messiah. And he began to boldly proclaim Christ crucified and risen again for sins. He's an apostle. He spent several years in Ephesus. And now he is held up in a prison in Rome. But he's writing to this church that he knows so well, and he says it is to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Some early manuscripts omit the name of the city in Ephesus, and it just simply says to the saints or to the faithful ones or to the believers in Christ Jesus. This may have been a circular letter, that is, that it's possible when Paul wrote it He wrote it intentionally to where it would not just simply be for the Ephesian church, but so that it would be for other churches in Asia Minor, so that this church would be forwarded on to the Laodicean church. In fact, in the book of Colossians, Paul mentions a letter that he wrote to Laodicea. Some wonder if that's actually the book of Ephesians that made its way to Laodicea and just a short distance later was to arrive in Colossae as well. Of course, there are many churches in ancient history that read and were blessed by this letter, this epistle we called the Ephesians. And even to the present day, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And so as we read the book of Ephesians and study it together in the months ahead, Paul is writing as an apostle, a representative of Jesus Christ to you and to me as well. After Paul's opening greeting, he launches into one of the longest sentences in all of the Bible. To help us, modern translators have put some extra punctuation in there. We have a period toward the end of verse 4. We have a period at the end of verse 6. We have a period at the end of verse 10. But if you were to read this in the Greek, it is all one long sentence. Scholars believe this may be the longest sentence found anywhere in the ancient Greek language. 
it tops in at over 200 words. It's like once Paul gets going, talking about the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus, he just can't stop. He begins with a declaration of praise to God in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, why is God blessed? God is blessed for so many different reasons. He is praiseworthy for who he is and for what he has done. And Paul says, blessed be God who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We see already the emphasis on blessing that is ours in Christ. And once he gets going, he just continues to build momentum as he sends wave upon wave of God's kindness and blessing to his children. We have election. That is, that God has chosen us by name before the foundation of the world. We have predestination that God set his love beforehand on those that he would choose. We have adoption that those who were once far from God have now been adopted into his family and given all the rights and privileges as a legal son or daughter. We have redemption that Christ paid his own blood as a sacrifice for sins so that he could purchase us and redeem us from the bondage of sin that once was ours and bring us back into right relationship with God. We have forgiveness down in verse 7, that Christ's blood washes away and cleanses our sins so that it can be whiter than snow. We have an inheritance in verse 11, which again, as I mentioned earlier, is an imperishable inheritance that is unfading, kept in heaven apart for you. And to seal it all as a sign of God's covenant love and promise Just as circumcision was a sign to the covenant of Abraham, just as the rainbow was a sign in the covenant of Noah, so you and I have a sign and a seal and a promise of all these blessings that are ours. And that promise and that seal is what? The Holy Spirit. God has given us the Holy Spirit as the sign and the seal of our redemption. Down in 13, those who've believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Much like an engagement ring that is given to a bride-to-be, so Christ has given us the Holy Spirit to say, I'm coming back for you. I love you. I will return and we will spend eternity together. And here is a token and a demonstration of my love for you. Here is the gift of the Holy Spirit to hold you over until I come in person. Paul is like an informal salesman, an infomercial salesman who keeps saying, but wait, there's more. But wait, there's more. Except this, of course, is no sales pitch. And there's no catch. This is a reality for those who are in Christ. You see, all these blessings that Paul talks about in this passage, and we'll spend a few weeks looking at these blessings more specifically in detail, but all these blessings of election and predestination and redemption and forgiveness and inheritance, all these blessings are ours only because of one person, Jesus Christ. Notice with me again in verse one, he writes this letter to the saints who are faithful in Christ Jesus. And then we get down to verse three, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. 
even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And, and Paul goes on and on and on attaching all of these blessings to our relationship with Jesus Christ. Our election is in him. Our adoption is in him. Our forgiveness is in him. The phrase in him is used at least nine times in this opening section. All these blessings are available and they are realized in Christ Jesus based on our attachment to, our relationship with Jesus Christ. No Christ, no adoption. No Christ, no inheritance. No Christ, no Holy Spirit. You see, Christ is what makes it possible for us to have these rich heavenly blessings. This theme of being in Christ is an important one throughout Paul's letter. And not only the letter to the Ephesians, but many of his other letters as well. Listen to the words of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Paul reminds us of our former past, our former existence before Christ, and then what God has done for us. In Ephesians 2, he says, Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's as though all the things that Christ experienced also happened to us. When Christ died, we died with him. When Christ rose, we rose again with him. When Christ ascended, we ascended with him. It says there in Ephesians 2 that God even seated us with him in the heavenly places. We are told that we will reign with him in the future. Again and again, Paul refers to our union with Christ, our identity in Christ it's like we have become joined to Christ and permanently fused together with him. He is in us and we are in him. It can take months in an organ transplant for doctors to know for sure whether that new body has received and accepted the organ. Think about a lung transplant or a kidney transplant and that organ that once was foreign is now attached to a new body. And the family hopes and they praise that that new family will accept that organ. It can take a while to know for sure, but once it has accepted it, it becomes like part of the new body and it functions for the benefit of the new body. You can no longer tell what was old and what was new. They are now joined together. As one. These believers may live in Ephesus, but they are ultimately not in Ephesus. They are in Christ. Previously, they and us would have been in Adam, but they are no longer just in Adam. We all inherit the fall from Adam and original sin from Adam. And Paul says over in 1 Corinthians that it is in Adam that we all die. Why is there death and sickness and suffering? It's because of Adam and because of Eve and because of their rebellion against God that we inherited. They were our forebearers and representatives. And when they acted on our behalf, we were there, as it were, sinning with them. And we inherited that sinful nature. 
still made in the image of God, but it explains the chaos and corruption in our world to understand we were all in Adam as a result of their sin. But the Ephesians are no longer just in Adam, otherwise they would only have death. They are now in Christ. I wonder, where do you find your identity today? If you're out there in the workforce, perhaps it's easy to find your identity because so much of your life is consumed with your job, with trying to climb up the corporate ladder, with trying to be successful, pay the bills, care for your family, and you focus so much time and attention, but could it be that your job, your career has ended up becoming your identity? We all love our family. We love our spouses, our children, those of you who have grandchildren, they are such a delight and a joy. And yet, could it be that you're finding your identity, the, the main focus of who you are in your family? We're coming up to an election season, and many of us are patriotic, and we love our country, and we want to see our country thrive. We want to see our country turn back to the Lord. But is your identity in your patriotism? Friends, your identity can be in a lot of different things, but there is only one person that you truly should find your satisfaction and your meaning and your hope in, and that is Jesus Christ. We are, if we've trusted in Jesus, we are now in Jesus. Paul says that we are the faithful in Christ Jesus who have been made alive together with Christ. Paul says something very similar over in another letter that he wrote right around the same time in Colossians. Listen to the words of Colossians chapter 2, where Paul says to another church, And you, who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all our trespasses. And in the verse right before that, in verse 12, he said, you were buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith. Incidentally, friends, we are Baptist because we believe that baptism is a sign and a symbol of our new reality in Christ. And that baptism was intended by Christ to be a sign of having our, our, our hearts washed clean. You see, the, the water itself is, is not doing anything to us. The water is a sign and a symbol of having our hearts washed clean by the blood of Jesus Christ in his death and resurrection. So we believe in baptism by immersion, going down into the water, because it so beautifully pictures the cleansing that takes place through Christ and his blood. But in addition to that, going down into the water in the ordinance of baptism, is a picture of how we went down into the grave with Christ. And we were raised up again with newness of life. When Paul says there in Colossians 2, you were buried with him in baptism, he's not talking about water baptism. He's not talking about when you went through that act of going down into the water and coming back up again. He's talking about spiritual baptism. That is, that you were plunged into Christ, identified with him, and now raised up again with him. And water baptism is simply a symbol of a spiritual reality. Jesus anticipates this union with Christ that is ours back in John chapter 14. Remember when John was in the upper room with his disciples and he announced to them that he was about to leave? 
and he was going to a place where they could not come, and the disciples were shocked. They were dumbfounded. What? But Jesus, we've spent so long with you, and we thought you were going to come and establish your rule upon this earth. How can you leave us in such a time? But Jesus comforts them after announcing his departure. It is as though he says he's actually going to be closer to them than he has ever been before. Because of this new upcoming reality of the union with Christ that would take place through the work of the Holy Spirit. In John 14, he says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father. Now we understand that. We appreciate that. That there is a unity in the Trinity of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And Christ can say, I am in my Father. But listen to this. He says, and you are in me. Well, that's astounding. After saying that Christ is in God and there's a unity within the Trinity, now he says that you are in me, but he doesn't stop there. He goes on to say, and I am in you. So in some way, as Christ abides in the Father, so we abide in Christ, and so Christ abides in us. A little bit further on in John 14, 23, Jesus answered, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. What a beautiful promise. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, God makes his home in you as it will. And that happens, of course, through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God is the Spirit of Christ, and God resides inside of you through the seal and promise of the Holy Spirit. We abide in him, and he abides in us. In the next chapter, Jesus paints a helpful picture to understand this mystery, this profound truth of abiding in Christ In chapter 15, he says, I am the true, what? Vine. And my father, he says, is the vine dresser. This is almost like a parable. This is a figure of speech, an extended metaphor. He says, he is the vine, and his father, in this word picture, is the vine dresser. I think the King James used to say the husbandman, the farmer there that tends the field and is in control over the vine. Jesus says, abide in me, And I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered thrown into the fire, and burned. I brought with me something this morning I wanted to show you. I've got two branches here. One of these is hard and dry and brown. One of these is still very soft and green. Both of these came from the same tree. These are from our mesquite tree out in our front yard, and I was doing a little pruning a couple weeks ago, and I trimmed off some branches, and this branch has been sitting in the pile to either be burned or to take off to the dump. It's stiff and hard. There's no more life in it and just barely touching on the leaves and they flake right off. 
But this branch here, it comes from the exact same tree. The only thing different between these two branches is that this one this morning was still attached to the trunk. It was like connected to the vine. It was still getting life. I can still see the green inside of it and could probably squeeze out a little bit of life juice in it if I needed to. This was still alive as of this morning. Why? Because it was connected to the, the branch, the main branch, the trunk and the roots. It was still getting life and sustenance. Jesus says that you and I are like a branch. And the only way that we can have life is if we are attached to the vine. The only way that we can produce fruit, at least fruit of any lasting value, people attempt to produce superficial fruit and acts of kindness and obedience, but the only way to produce a genuine heart-driven fruit is to be attached to the vine from which all life derives. We are to be like that green branch that is connected to the vine of Christ. And Jesus says, because he wants you to bear fruit, sometimes he will even bring out the clippers and start to prune you. And pruning is painful, but he only does that because he wants to produce more righteousness and holiness and fruitfulness in your life. Jesus says there are some who claim to be attached to the vine, but they produce no fruit whatsoever. And the time will come where that branch will be clipped off because it is already dead and it will be thrown into the fire. Friends, we are to abide in Christ, who is the vine. He is the vine. We are the branches. You can't really separate where life begins and ends. Both the branch and the vine are alive, and they are one. And in the same way, we have union with Christ. It's difficult to tell where one ends and the other begins because Christ has chosen to weave himself together with us inseparably. Now physically, we may be separate from Jesus for a while while he prepares a place for us in heaven. Christ ascended to heaven in approximately 33 AD and he said, I am coming again. And the angel said he will come back in exactly the same way he went up to heaven. He will come down on the clouds. And one day he will come down upon the Mount of Olives. And those rocks will split from north to south. And Christ will establish his glorious reign upon this earth. But for now, Christ is not visible to us. He is in heaven above. But even though we are separated physically from Christ, we are not separated spiritually from Christ. We are intricately woven together with him, joined eternally with Christ in a tight, inseparable bond. It's no wonder then that Paul can say in Philippians 1, for to me to live is what? Christ, and to die is gain. Or over in Galatians chapter 2 where Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In a sense, my life belongs to Christ more than it belongs to me. This union with Christ is that Christ is now ruling over and in and guiding our lives. It is Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, that is his skin, his body, the physical life that he lives, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Friend, what does the union with Christ mean for you today? 
First of all, it means that you must put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You, if you have not yet trusted in him, you need to be united together with him. And it could be that many of your struggles and your pains and your frustrations is because you are a branch that is not connected to the life-giving vine. Cry out to God today. Lord, I'm realizing I am a sinner that deserves your judgment. You are a holy and glorious God. Forgive me of my sins. And thank you for sending your son to die on my behalf. See, you need to cry out to God and beg for mercy. And when you draw near to him, he will draw near to you. You need to be attached to the vine. That is the only place that true life and strength comes from. But you can't do that. You can't just hop over to the vine and attach. You need the father, the vine dresser, to take you and weld you together. Fuse you together with Christ. And you can do that with a simple confession of faith. God, forgive me of my sins. I trust in Christ today and surrender all that I am. And you will be united together with Christ and find joy everlasting. First of all, you need to personally trust in Christ in order to abide in him. You must take up residence in him so that he may take up residence in you. But beyond that, there are other things that we must do as well, other implications of the doctrine of the union with Christ. For example, we ought to think a lot more about heavenly things than we often do. We tend to spend so much time focusing on the here and the now. I see the young people here this morning, and I love the children and the teenagers, and they have their whole life ahead of them, and it's exciting to think about junior high and high school and sports and college and marriage and family and jobs and everything ahead of them. All of us can get caught up on what's around us and our plans in this life, and yet the Bible says don't set your mind mainly on the things of this earth. Yes, you need to plan for today and tomorrow, but listen to what is said over in Colossians 3. If you've been raised with Christ, and the assumption is you have, then you are to seek the things that are where? Above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds, boys and girls, set your minds, moms and dads, set your minds, grandparents, on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Do you see how union with Christ drives us to heavenly mindedness? And if we understand that he is in us and we are in him and we are attached and fused together, it is gonna make us think a lot more about heaven than many of us do. And it's gonna put our problems here upon this earth in a new perspective. Think more on heavenly things. But there is another application, and that is that we must learn to love one another. You say, I thought that we're talking about the union with Christ here. Aren't we talking about the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus? Yes. But remember that the church is called the body of Christ. And the head of the body is Jesus. You and I are all members of that body. And as members of the body of Christ, we have union with our head, but we also have a new union 
with one another. See, there's a, a spiritual, a kind of mystical reality that we have together as the people of God, as the body of Christ. If we've been united together to one head, then that means we as members are also to be united together. That means we need to love one another. We need to serve one another. We need to grow in living in harmony with one another and functioning together. And boy, hasn't 2020 given us many opportunities to show love toward one another, hasn't it? Should we submit to the government or go on with worship as usual? Should we be indoors or outdoors? Should we wear masks or no masks? Someday the question is going to come, do we get vaccines or no vaccines? And we haven't even talked about yet the issue of racial injustice and treating other people of other colors of skin with respect and dignity and love. See, there's been a lot of opportunity this year for the church to put on display love toward one another. And that love derives from our mutual union with Christ. You see, if you've been united together with Christ, and I've been united together with Christ, that means we have been united together. We are one body, one family. And we need to function together and coexist together in the true sense of the word as an organic whole with Christ as our head. Our union with Christ is a great mystery and a blessing. In a sense, union with Christ is the greatest blessing of salvation. But also through it, Paul says that there are many other blessings that we receive Salvation has been described as a diamond that you can hold up to the light and admire so many different colors and facets and features. And in the weeks ahead, we'll be examining that diamond, that brilliant gem of salvation as we look at these different blessings that are ours in Christ. But all of them happen because of our relationship in and with Christ. A few years ago, I attended a Bible conference back in Kentucky and as I was preparing to head back home, I was talking with a couple pastor friends and discovered that we all had the same flight that went from Kentucky to Dallas. And once we got to Dallas, we were gonna split up and go on different flights the remainder of the way home. We were seated different places on the airplane, but we met up together there in the terminal in Dallas. And one of my friends said, I've, uh, I'm a frequent flyer, I've got a lot of miles, and uh, one of the perks of being a frequent flyer with my airline is I have access to the VIP lounge, and I can take up to three guests with me. Would you like to go with me into the VIP lounge? And I'm like, sure, i got nothing else to do for the next two hours. So he took me and my other pastor friend, and we walked through the regular airport terminal, and all of a sudden we got to these double glass doors, and they swooshed open, and we walked in. It was like we, we, simple, we, we, we suddenly walked into a really swanky hotel, with nice, quiet, peaceful music and plush furniture and fountains and food being served with free hors d'oeuvres and you could kick off your shoes and just utterly relax. And I didn't want to leave the airport after that. I decided this would be okay for a while longer. If you need to fill that seat with somebody else, I can stay here. Of course, I was looking forward to getting home with family, but I'd never had such a positive airport experience. And the only reason I was allowed to be in that room, in that lounge, was because of my relationship with my friend. When I walked in, 
It was because I was with him. He showed his frequent flyer badge or his card. As we walked through, I knew that all these blessings that I was receiving were undeserved. I I had done absolutely nothing to earn them, to work for them, to deserve them, or to keep them if it was not for my relationship with my friend. Yet I was grateful, and I thanked him at the end. But friend, if we can take joy in the simple pleasures like an airport lounge, imagine eternal blessings and unfading inheritances that are yours and mine because of our relationship with Christ Jesus. God has stored up for us blessings beyond our wildest imagination. There are many who are rich in this world who are going to be poor in eternity. And yet there are many more who are relatively poor in this world and yet will have unsearchable riches in eternity. And those riches are already there awaiting you if you've trusted in Christ because of your union with Christ. Would you bow with me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the many blessings that are ours. And as Paul did, so we do. We bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ today. Thank you for blessing us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places that are ours in Christ. We know that apart from him, we could do nothing. And apart from him, we have nothing. But Lord, we thank you that you have chosen because of nothing good that we did, yet you have shown, you've chosen and shown out of your great love to pour out your blessing upon us in Christ. I know there are people in our church that may feel alone right now, may be discouraged and scared. I pray that this doctrine of the union with Christ will help them know that they are never alone. You will never leave or forsake us, for we are joined inseparably together. Lord, I pray that if there be anybody here this morning or those watching online who have not put their trust in Jesus Christ, that right now they would stop running, they would stop making excuses, they would stop raising up distractions or silly arguments, and they would bow the knee before King Jesus and recognize they need salvation. For the days are dark and the time is short and there's no promise of tomorrow. Lord, let people cry out to God for mercy. And know if they draw near to you, you will draw near to them. Lord, thank you for the privilege of abiding in Christ. Make us as a church fruitful branches that bear many good works, all for your glory. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's broadcast of Feed My Sheep, a ministry of Crossview Bible Church in Yucca Valley. For more information, please visit www.crossviewyucca.org. We'd love to have you come and visit us this Sunday. We're located on Onaga Trail, just a half mile west of Yucca Valley High School. God bless and have a great week.